near-death experience podcast, an ongoing exploration of spiritually transformative experiences, including NDEs and other phenomena, in order to elucidate the ineffable and better understand our spirituality. All episodes are available at ndepodcast.org. The views expressed and opinions given by the individual hosts and guests are not necessarily those of NDE Podcast, the NDERF, any sponsors, or, for that matter, anyone else. In the end, the only opinion that really matters is yours. Welcome to Near-Death Experience Podcast, the official source of audio accounts for the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation. I'm Chaz Hathaway, author of Life in the Spirit World, What Near-Death Experiences May Teach About Life on the Other Side. I believe we're going to have time to read a couple of them uh, of experiences today, so I'm going to start with one by a woman named Frances from enderf.org. Francis says, I was above my body and watching everything going on in the room. I could see my father at the bedside crying. I was confused as to why I, I was lying in the bed and suddenly was in a long tunnel with a small light at the end. I started to race through the tunnel at an amazing speed and the light became stronger and stronger. The feeling as I approached the light was of complete peace and love I cannot describe. I could feel a presence at my side on both sides of me. I knew they were heavenly beings. As I came into the light, I was filled with an indescribable love and peace. I did not speak with my mouth, but telepathically. I was shown my life on earth the beginning all the way till now, and I was shown the impact I had on others I connected to. I could feel their feelings and experiences and how I treated them. I was filled with total knowledge and understood everything. I entered a beautiful garden. The colors and scenery I, I could never explain. The colors were surreal. I never wanted to leave this place. The peace was complete. I understood my purpose on this earth. God spoke to me, but I could not see him. I was stopped. If I went any further, I could not go back to earth. I had a choice to return or stay, but I wanted to stay. God wanted me to go back and told me my purpose was not finished on this earth. I would have children. I wanted to do God's will. I told God I wanted to stay, but in my heart to do His will was stronger. I knew I would be back. I entered my body quickly, like bang. I was in the hospital. I was told I was tied to the bed as the convulsions were so bad they had to tie me down. The doctors were amazed I made it. This experience 
changed me forever. I always had faith. Today I can say absolutely, God is real. Jesus is real. And love is all that matters. That is the end of Francis's account. You know, one of the things that's a little bit unfortunate about these experiences is we don't get, it with, with these uh, shorter experiences, um, you might call them entry experiences or transitional experiences, something to that effect, the idea of, of somebody going out of the body and then going into heaven. Um, we don't get a full view all the time of a day in the life of, even though a time, time is not a thing, so saying a day in the life of doesn't necessarily mean anything on that side, but, you know, we're, we're getting that transition, and part of me wants to go dig deeper and find more experiences of those who went on and had further interactions on the other side and so forth, but it occurs to me also that one of the biggest benefits, or at least the most common reactions, uh, beneficial reactions to learning of near-death experiences is the complete lack of fear that it creates in people for dying. People who are maybe once afraid to die or, you know, hesitant about, I mean, just, you know, hesitant to talk about it, not, not sure what to expect, a little bit nervous at the thought, and then when loved ones die, they kind of get scared again, thinking, gosh, are they in pain? Are they, are they in complete blackness of nothing and not experiencing anything? Do they cease to exist? You know, all those anxieties, they take that away. And we can be confident that everything beyond these experiences is incredible and wonderful, probably even way beyond what we are reading about and learning about, but just knowing that the experience is, as as uh, Francis described, I mean, uh, the sense of, of God's love, of, of the sense of love, the peace was complete. So I never wanted to leave this place, and uh, was filled with knowledge, um, just this incredible... Uh, indescribable love and peace, as she puts it. And it's like, if that's one of the first things that we have to look forward to at death, I think we can stop fearing it now. I think we have nothing to fear. Okay, let's go on to Elsa. And uh, when I saw that there was an Elsa, the, the geeky part of me, the dad part of me, hurried and looked to see if I had any Annas in my list uh, of ready-to-read experiences. Unfortunately, there's not, but <laughs> anyway, so Elsa, um, this experience took place in 1959, the summer of 1959, again, pre-Raymond um, Moody book, so before the experience, near-death experience was even coined, um, before the name was coined. Okay, so Elsa says, Swimming in a pool and suddenly panicked when I could not reach the side of the pool. I started sinking, and every time I was able to sur surface, I saw the lifeguard with his back turned to me. 
talking to the lady who had brought me. I kept gasping for breath until I finally could not hold my breath any longer and took a big inhale of water. After that, the exact sequence is uncertain, but uh, I was filled, or but I was being lifted above the pool and then went higher and higher. I was in a tunnel. It reminded me of Alice in Wonderland, and I was very scared. At one point, I was in a dark, dark place. Things were crawling on me, and I could hear moaning and terrible things. At this point, I said, Help me, God! Then I was in another place, where people seemed to know my name. There was a man I did not recognize, and was shown him holding me as an infant, my grandfather. I was scared and didn't want to be there. Then, whom I believed may have been Jesus, showed me my life, and how I had misbehaved and talked back, talked back to my mother. Every time I tried to defend myself, I saw how it looked through his eyes. He was very ashamed and asked, and I asked for forgiveness. I was very ashamed and asked forgiveness. I think that's what she's trying to say. The exact sentence, let me just clarify, is, I saw how it looked through his eyes, comma, was very ashamed, comma, and asked for forgiveness. I think she's saying, I saw how it looked through his eyes. I was very ashamed and asked forgiveness. He explained to me how some people didn't believe in him, and he was very sad. There were little beams of light shooting from the earth into the heavens, and I asked him what they were. He told me they were the prayers, and then I felt better, because it seemed many people must believe in Jesus. He explained the whole universe to me, and everything made complete sense to me. I then decided I would like to stay there, and that is when he showed me my mother crying her eyes out. I asked him why my mother was crying, and he said that if I do not return, it would break my mother's heart. He then showed me two little boys and told me they were to be my sons. I was so shocked and excited, being only eight, going on nine knowing I was going to have children and somebody would actually want to marry me. He showed me some heartbreaking things, as my son would not be a believer in God and hurt him. So then, I was so sorry for this and thinking, I'm not going to go back if this is going to hurt Jesus. Then he showed me an auditorium, and the speaker on the stage was so wonderful. The people in the audience were hanging on his every word. I thought this was a very special person. And then God told me, This is your son. I couldn't believe it. The same son that shamed God was somehow going to redeem himself. He showed me my other son would be fine and upstanding. He told me that I had to go back, and I was in some kind of euphoria over the things that were revealed to me. So I agreed, and the next thing I knew, I was catching the side of the pool and trying to pull myself up. When I was finally seen, there was a big commotion as the lifeguard rushed over and pushed on my back 
so I could cough up all the water. He was very embarrassed as he had been neglecting his duties. I must have been blue because everyone was very shook up. There was no CPR in 1959. In the car on the way home, my eyes and throat burned and I had trouble speaking. The lady that took me there told me I should not tell my mother what happened or I will never be allowed to be going swimming again. So I never told another soul and then forgot about the whole thing until I heard a radio program in 1973 discuss near-death experiences. And then it all came flooding back to me. That is why I'm confused as to the exact sequence of events. I can say that after this experience, I suddenly noticed how blue the sky was and how beautiful the flowers were. I suddenly found favor with the neighbor kids who never really noticed me before. When I attended summer Bible school, I suddenly hung on every word. I would raise my hand to answer questions, when before I would be shy, hide, and daydream through class. I had only attended because my best friend was going. The teacher suddenly treated me differently instead of ignoring me. When I would walk to the church in the morning, I get the feeling I was not alone, and I was being taught an appreciation for flowers and animals and nature. This feeling lingered for a few weeks. Looking back, I think I was conversing with someone at this time that accompanied me. I was not alone. That is the end of Elsa's account. Okay, let's talk a little bit about it. Another drowning experience, and the death was very quick. She takes this big inhale of water, and then she finds herself in a tunnel that she describes as being like Alice in Wonderland. And interestingly, for the first while, even from the time that she's in the tunnel and then um, being in a, uh, let's see, and right after the tunnel, she finds herself in a dark, dark place. And she says, there were things crawling on me and I could hear moaning and other terrible things. That's an interesting thing to follow up um, after we've just talked about how beautiful and, and loving the transitional experiences, but um, despite her distressing near-death experience beginning, she says, at this point, I said, help me, God. She cries out to God, and then she says, then I was in another place where people seemed to know my name. There was a man I didn't recognize and was shown holding me. Uh, I was shown him holding me as an infant, my grandfather. I was scared and did not want to be there. That's interesting that she's still scared at that point. It could be that she's still recovering from the terror of being in the dark place with three things crawling on her and moaning and terrible things and so forth. I mean, this, you know, when we hear about these experiences, we've got to recognize they're not always positive. And yet, when people cry out to God or, or go looking for the light, they often will find it quickly if not if not immediately and then she sees um or at least she experiences someone she doesn't say specifically whether she sees him or not but she says um then who i believe to be jesus showed me my life and how i misbehaved and talked back 
to my mother. That makes me think that she was probably quite young at this time that she uh, had this experience. And she is seeing the experiences that uh, um, she's had in her life and is ashamed of those that are bad and she asks forgiveness. And uh, then she sees um, beams of light shooting from the earth into the heavens and asks what they were. Now, I should say, this is not the only experience where I've heard of this. Beams of light. Um, I don't know if they look like lasers or like uh, shooting stars or what, but they're, they're these beams of light shooting from earth into the heavens. And she is told they are the prayers. And that is exactly what other people have described them as, that, that angelic people with them or guides or God, whoever, um, when they ask, what is that? They, they're told those are the prayers. So when you pray, it makes it, even if you can't see it. Okay. And then she says something very interesting. Remember, the, the whole thing up to this point is she's being treated as a child would be, you know, with the, I'm just picturing the looks, you know, given um, by Jesus that, you know, make her realize that every time she tries to defend herself, he, she gives him, he gives her that look and she's ashamed and asks forgiveness and so forth. It sounds very parenty. Um, and, uh, and even when he says, he expl- or she says, he explained to me how some people didn't believe in him and he was very sad. And it, it sounds like such a childlike description. This is what she's experiencing though. And up to this point, it's all very childlike. And then she says, he explained the whole universe to me and everything made complete sense to me. <laughs> as a child, as a child, and true, she is out of her childish body, um, but her experience up to this point is very childlike, and now she gets the whole universe explained to her? That is so cool and so interesting. And then when she says she wants to stay, she has shown her mother crying her eyes out, which, you know apparently hasn't happened yet. And this is something that many people think, well, it couldn't have been real because that didn't really happen because her mother never found out about it. Remember at the end of the experience, uh, she's encouraged not to tell her mom about it because then she won't be able to go swimming anymore. And so her mother is never crying her eyes out over this. So this is something that never happened, but it's something that would have happened if she had died at that time. This is not the only experience where I hear of that. People attend their own, own funerals. People see themselves lying in a casket and then, of course, come back before ever getting to that casket. And so they're not seeing um, what is, but they're seeing what will be if they don't or what could be if they don't return. Interesting which is another indication or another um, point to the fact that uh, time is really not the same as it is here. In fact, 
from what I can tell, it doesn't exist. Chronology in some way exists, but not time. I have to apologize, my son vacuuming the floor in the other room. I'm very grateful he's doing it, but you may be able to hear it, so. <laughs> anyway, so then she says that Jesus shows him, or shows her, sorry, a auditorium, and the speaker on the stage is so wonderful. Now, she had already seen two little boys that were to be her sons, which got her excited. She's like, that's so cool. I mean, somebody would actually marry me, and... And I could have children, you know, and gets kind of excited. But it wasn't enough to convince her to go back. But she goes to sees this auditorium. And, and another point of her one son was that he would not be a believer in God. And he would hurt God. Or at least his, it would cause God emotional pain to see what her son would do and, and experience and so forth. However, she sees this speaker on the stage and he's wonderful. And he speaks and just, you know, she, the whole audience is hanging on every word. Very special person, she can tell. And then God told me, she says, this is your son. So that son who had been, had shamed God was now Going, was somehow going to redeem himself and was going to make a difference in the lives of many others in that recovery, which is cool, really cool. Which is to say, also, don't ever give up on anyone. If you feel like, you know, maybe they've gone atheist and they won't believe any kind of story about this God person that everybody claims to believe in, whatever, don't give up on them. Okay. And then she sees that her other son would turn out to be great also. And uh, next thing she knows, she's agree she agrees to go back. And the next thing she knows, she is under the water and pushes herself up and out, coughs up the water and, and all this stuff. And it's the end of the experience. Interesting, interesting. You know, one of the things that I find interesting in these experiences, and if I remember right, Francis was an example of this also. Yeah, both wanted to stay, but were talked out of it, or ended up coming back anyway. But the interesting thing to me is that they are willing to stand up to God and challenge his decision for them to go back. Now, of course, both of them fail in their own attempt, in their own efforts to dissuade God, but they stand up to him. Tell me, are there people in this world that you would not be willing to stand up to? Are there people, be it a boss, be it uh, an abusive person, be it an authority figure, police, if the President of the United States, whatever it is, is, is there someone that you would be too scared to approach? And then you can ask yourself, is that person of greater authority or more powerful than God? And if you're like me, every one of you would say, well, yeah, there's people that I wouldn't have the guts to stand up to, at least to some extent. Um, but... Apparently, people are willing to stand up to God. 
Now that doesn't say to me that anything about how, you know, inferior God is. Certainly not. On the contrary, they talk about how powerful and incredible he is, and the description is the kind of thing that would leave me as, you know, in my own mind thinking, I could never stand up to that person and try to argue a point with them. I would just be like, okay, whatever you say, you know, kind of thing. But the point that I'm trying to make here is that apparently our spirits are willing and are able. If that spirit that is yours would be willing to stand up to defend a position or idea or or try to, you know, dissuade God of something, if it's willing to do that, how much more willing would it be to stand up to that person you don't feel like you could stand up to? How much more would your spirit be able to walk right up to them and just tell them exactly what needs to be said? To speak and tell them exactly what you want or exactly what you need or what you need them to stop doing or what you need them to change or what you yourself need to change about yourself. I submit to you the possibility that maybe our spirits are not as shy and frightened and fearful as our egos are. Even the both of these people experience some level of fear. I'm sorry, the first one did not, uh, Francis did not mention fear that I, that I can see, but Elsa did. This creepy crawly place and all this freaky stuff. Um, but next thing she knows, in the midst of this love, she is able to stand up and argue a point before God. She was willing to follow his direction, but she was willing to stand up and make a point to him. There are even people who throw temper tantrums in front of God. I don't know how they do that. But I think the point is, our spirits are not afraid. Our spirits are so self-confident, so bold, so fearless, that they're willing to go to the most powerful being in the universe and argue a point. Now, if we have that kind of a spirit within us, and I submit that probably all of us have such a spirit, if we are so able to stand up for ourselves there, then what does that say about what's standing in our way here? It's just that mortal ego. The true you, the real you, that is the spirit within you, could stand up to anything, anything, and be fearless in the midst of it, of doing so. For sure, at least looking at the things that you're fearing now, that spirit would be able to look at those things and say, I can do that. I can do that. And many people, when they experience these near-death experiences, they come back 
or they, you know, in there preparing to come back, they want to come back and they beg to come back because they, they say, I can fix that. I can do it better this time. I know I can. Send me back. Sometimes it even takes some arguing on their part to get permission to come back. But they do. Because they're willing to stand up for themselves. They're willing to stand up for what they believe in, what they know they want. And while I'll be the first to admit, I don't have all the answers, and I know for sure that none of you have all the answers, I, it'd be lovely if I could say, I know exactly what I need to do today, what I need to do tomorrow, and what I need to do for the rest of my life. I know exactly what effort I need to make. I, need, I know exactly what my mission is. I know exactly... I wish I could say that, yes, but that's not the point. That's not the point. I suspect that our spirits are standing up to our egos all the time. I suspect that that fearless spirit who would stand and argue a point before God is standing before our ego within us and saying, you need to do this, or you need to let go of that. Or you need to start living up to what you came here to do. You need to start living those passions that I, I am feeding in you. Because that's what I came here for. It's standing up to you as an ego. And let me ask you, who's winning the battle right now? Who's winning the argument? Is it your spirit who is fearless to stand before God? Or is it your ego who's too antsy about getting fired from their job? Or that ego that is, is too afraid to take a risk and do the thing that he or she has always known that they've wanted to do because uh, it's uncomfortable, it's scary, you know, what if I lose my job, or what if I, I run out of money, or whatever like that, and the Spirit is saying, do it! Do it! And your ego's like, eh, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not ready for that, and so forth. And this, your Spirit is saying, dude, dude, there's a reason you came here, there's a reason I came here, I'm here to experience these things, you better not cut out on me. You better not keep me from what I came from heaven to do. Now, is that a hard pill to swallow? It is for me. But it also tells me I've got a fearless spirit in me. And becoming acquainted with that spirit and becoming acquainted with God by having that spirit converse with him is one of the things that's beginning to give me more courage, more boldness, more willingness to try things that I wasn't always willing to try, more willingness to take chances and to do the fearless thing, even in the midst of seemingly insurmountable odds. We didn't come here to play it safe, you guys. We didn't come here to have a steady, easy, ride in life. We came here because our spirits demanded to learn, demanded 
to leave heaven to do great things, to learn great things, to become great things. We may think of our, um, we may sometimes be tempted to think of our giving in to our passions as somehow allowing our bodies to take control, but sometimes, not always, but sometimes we've got it backwards. Now, if your passions are leading you to lie, steal, cheat, hurt people, do immoral things, and so forth, that is your ego just really getting the best of you. But if you're feeling like, you know what, I've always wanted to teach. It's time for me to do what I need to do to get in the position where I can teach. Or if you feel like, I have always wanted to have a family. It's time for me to do what's necessary to make that happen. Your spirit knows what it wants. Your ego is terrified and it speaks very loudly. Try listening to that spirit a little bit. Go to God. You know, if, if calling out to God can chase the entire satanic multitude of devils that torment people, the few people who end up in some kind of situation among them, if calling out to God can frighten them away or even bring God into a person's presence enough to, to just terrorize these evil spirits, then can't it do the same thing to our egos? Can't it chase away the fear that our egos play as their as its dominant role? Can't it can't calling out to God and seeking his help chase away everything that stands between us and God so that all we have to do now is make a choice. I believe so. I believe so. And yes, it, it can be very challenging here in mortality. And it will be. It should be. If it's not, we're not playing it right. But just think. We're here for a reason. And to fulfill that reason is the highest aspiration of our spirit right now. Why not go for it? If you would like to contact the podcast, either to share your own experience, ask a question, or just share a comment, you can do so by either emailing neardeathexperiencepodcast at gmail.com or by calling 970-NDE-CAST. You can also contact me personally by emailing chaz at ndepodcast.org You can email John by emailing john at ndepodcast.org You can support the podcast by by uh, going to patreon.com slash ndecast And once again, thank you you guys so much again for listening.
Oh, oh, oh.